This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this, this is Work of Tomorrow on Business Radio. Here's your host, Christian Tervish. Welcome to Work of Tomorrow on Business Radio. I'm your host, Christian Tervish, and we're here for you every Monday night at 5 p.m. Eastern, followed by replays throughout the week. The purpose of my show is to explore how work will change in times of globalization and digitization. I want to understand the work of tomorrow. Now, I already had a number of shows on the future of healthcare work, including radiology, surgery, emergency care, and sleep medicine. As fascinating as these shows have been, I have to confess that they were somewhat doctor-centric. Doctors might be important, but you really cannot appreciate the operations of a hospital unless you take a close look at the nurses. There are well over 3 million nurses in the United States. For us as patients, they're often the primary interface to the hospital. The job has always been challenging, but recently, growing cost pressure and increasing clinical complexity is making this crucial job more demanding than ever before. And automation and robotics are also making a move into the hospital, potentially disrupting the way that care is delivered. What does a day in a nurse look like? What is changing with advances in technology? And what are the cutting-edge organizations doing in this space to prepare for the future? To answer these questions, I will be speaking to two wonderful guests on my show today. Chris Guerra is here in the studio, a clinical nurse on Penn's Trauma Surgical ICU team. And in the second half of the show, I will talk to Corey Kitt, who is the founder and CEO of Catalia Health, the company that created Marbu, an automated healthcare companion who helps patients in their transition out of the hospital. At this point, welcome, Chris. Thank you. Hey, Chris, do you remember the first trauma case you had to work on? Well, um, I don't remember exactly the first one, but I can tell you one of my most memorable ones. Go ahead. Okay, I was caring for um, a lawyer who uh, was actually from New York City. He had gone uh, to their emergency room in New York because he was feeling uh, just flu-like symptoms, and he ended up getting um, discharged. So the symptoms continued, and he ended up coming down to us for further management. And he had something called necrotizing fasciitis. Um, and so he immediately went to the operating room. And uh, trauma falls also into the ESS, or emergency uh, surgery team. And uh, he was a very memorable case because... Uh, that just it just developed all over his body, um, and unfortunately, we were unable to save him. Is there ever such a thing as a normal day in the office for you? There's not. That's what's great about my job because I never know what's coming my way. Nevertheless, walk us through a typical again, knowing that there is no such thing, but a typical day in your work looks like. Sure. So uh, the unit I work on is a twenty bed ICU unit. Uh, we can have the max of two patients with our assignment or one, depending on how sick the patient is, when I'm the bedside nurse. I also, as if as in today, I'm the charge nurse. So uh, the day will start with rounding from the night shift charge. We then go to a bed meeting that includes all the charge people in the hospital. So every unit, every floor, the operating room, the emergency department are represented in that meeting. And that's where we see who needs to come to the unit throughout the day, how many discharges we have. So it's sort of where we plan um, for ins and outs and help with the operation of the hospital. 
And so for you, the workflow starts with a patient coming either out of the OR or out of the trauma bay? Correct, or actually an outside hospital transfer. And then uh, what happens? How does the work look like from there? So uh, we get a verbal report by phone. Um, We then can decide how sick they're going to be. And then as the charge nurse, I actually go down when there's a trauma alert. So I'm in the bay anticipating whether that person's going to need to come to my unit and who might be able to move out quickly. So you move with the patient, so to say, from the trauma bay, you pick him or her up from downstairs and then take them up into your unit? Not always, but Mm -hmm. if need be, if they're getting bombarded in the trauma bay, we do go downstairs to help physically bring them up. And when you're working at the bedside, you said you typically take care for either one or two patients? Correct. And are those those ratios determined on an as-needed basis because of of the current volume in the ER? Is this this regulated or mandated by some kind of insurance or regulation? It's, uh, I've never taken care of more than two, so it must be a regulation that that's the max in the ICU that can be cared for. Or the one-on-one is when the patient is on max support, um, all kind of dialysis at the bedside, just uh, very intense uh, a sick patient. And so I would imagine the first kind of hour or two hours after the patient comes to your unit must be the most work intense, kind of just connecting the patient to all kinds of monitors, IVs, for yeah, it starts, medication regimens. It starts that way, but then it's figuring out what's going on. So it, you don't necessarily know if things are going to get better or they could mm-hmm. take, a, take a turn for the worse. So uh, the nurses in the unit, is it really that you just work, Chris, with the one or two patients you're assigned to, or is there something like teamwork where you say, like, oh, Christian, I'm really busy. Can you help me out? Or how, how, how do you interface with the rest of your team? So we do um, rounds in the very beginning of our day. So after we get, we get report from the night shift, we are then rounding with the entire team. So that would include the attending physician, the fellow, the pharmacist, the nurse at the bedside, along with anyone that might be in training. So it starts with the nurse practitioner or advanced provider giving just a summary of the past 24 hours. And then that's where we shine because we, the bedside nurse then jumps in and covers head-to-toe systems of where exactly that patient is at that moment in time. So what their neurostatus is, what vasoactive drips they're on, what vent settings they're on, um, you know, their GI status along with um, their urine, you know, GU. And then together, collaboratively, we all come up with a plan for the day. And um, and then it goes from there. So we, it's a lot of teamwork. What is the interface to the physician? Is that something where... Is it a hierarchical kind of system where the physician is basically giving the main direction and you educate? Or, I mean, certainly with somebody with your clinical experience, you must have seen many more patterns and kind of interesting and surprising things than a young physician who comes into your unit. Right. So um, whenever we have, you know, what I pride myself on with my experience is um, almost being able to see changes in a patient's condition and being one step ahead of them. So me at the bedside, I can be an advocate, which says, 
pulls the physician in and um, kind of points out what I think might be happening clinically. And so I do feel um, the newer doctors, they value an experienced nurse's opinion. But then we have the attending physician who does dictate um, which patients are coming, which ones are going. And then, of course, they're they are the say all be all for the plan for the day. So. And then uh, being the charge nurse, that is more of a managerial role ultimately, where you have to think about being the team leader. How is that different? So um, it's we focus more on the flow of the unit. So right now we have actually um, an a, um, electronic unit manager, which is uh, a big monitor, which is on every floor uh, where we can get minute-by-minute minute updates of where patients are. So it's telling me they're finishing on a case in the operating room. They're saying, you know, uh, this person from the floor is going to be discharged in 15 minutes. So it really, the charge nurse is the one that's making sure people are coming and going as efficiently as possible. How much of your time do you spend in front of a computer screen as opposed to in front of the patient? And again, I'm not implying any kind sure. of judgment in that, but I, I've seen, especially in ER setting, where there seems to be just a lot of computer time in modern medicine. Uh, how, how, how is this playing out for you? Right. With the way the setup is, um, it's every room has a computer. So that is where we do all our charting and our monitoring of vital signs. They're actually connected to our monitors, so that will come over just by a click, Um I might be charting on the computer, but I'm still physically next to my patient. So if there's any change or anything I need to step away, um, that can easily be done. So that is all happening in, in real side at the bedside as you opposed got it. to like you're having a, a, a more like a dedicated computer space. Right. Uh, does it include things such as the labs or scanning and medications? It's, it's basically all at the point of care at the, for the patient? The computers is where we do scan in all our medications. So we scan the patient themselves and then the medications, which will clarify um, if there's a question of a dose or there's a lot of different flags that come our way um, for for good safety. And uh, it's um, yeah, that's kind of it. That piece of the medication part is included in the computer. In case you're just tuning in, you're listening to Work of Tomorrow here on Business Radio. I'm your host, Christian Tevish, and I have the pleasure of chatting with Chris Guerra. Chris is a clinical nurse at Penn's Trauma Surgical ICU team, and we're talking about the work of a nurse in, uh, in the busy kind of life of uh, an ICU or hospital. Um, Chris, you mentioned the computers part uh, now, and I'm just curious to see. You've been in this business for over 20 years. Um, how was it when you started? Was it all paper charts or? Everything was paper. So it wasn't only the patient's charts. It was doctor's orders. It was my assessment of the patient. Uh, it was a paper flow sheet that folded out uh, to where I could, you know, jot down what this is what was happening. And then how did I intervene? Um, yeah, it was all by paper. I hear many of my healthcare friends, doctors and nurses alike, somewhat complaining about computers, the electronic medical record, and I'm, I'm sure you must have gone through the same discussions. Overall, was your experience, you look back at those kind of 10, 15, 20 years since the paper records, has this been a good uh, change or still some kind of mixed emotions on that? I think it's been a good change. Um, 
a lot of things are made easier and quicker with computers. Um, so, yeah, I would say good change. So one thing that uh, Penn Medicine has been very uh, kind of cutting edge on is the usage of video cameras to kind of loop in uh, intensive care specialists, loop in providers for, for two-way video discussion. Can you, can you tell us a little bit more how that works? So we have a system in the hospital where every room does have a camera. Um, there's an off-site facility then where doctors and nurses are staffed, where if I would need somebody emergently, I could push a button and uh, they would then come on to, they could view into my room, give me orders if I needed it to enter, you know, to do, to help the patient. Um, and I don't know, I don't see a lot of, you know, doctor to doctor kind of intervention with that. I'm more aware of that that we use um, in the patient's room. So you would have a situation that is kind of turning out in an unpredicted and kind of negative way potentially. And so you have this extra line of defense where you can go and contact the folks over at Rittenhouse or where they sit and then video conference them in. Yes. How, how often do, do, does this happen? I mean, it sounds fascinating as a, as a kind of as a technology. How often do you take advantage of that? Because I have providers 24-7 um, right with me, mm -hmm. I don't think we use it as much as maybe a community hospital could be able to take advantage of that. But I would say mm -hmm. um, we use it for teaching also. So in case somebody has a procedure or is um, coding you know, respiratory or cardiac, and then we turn those cameras on and use it as a teaching opportunity after as long as we get consent and mm -hmm. everything from patient and family. So we have used it a lot in that way. And so do you see the use case more in a situation where, as you mentioned, like a community hospital that wouldn't have the firepower of uh, the Lee Fleischer Department here in anesthesiology and clinical care that would benefit, uh, would be able to provide almost pen-like quality services without having your staff here? Exactly. Is that something that is rolling out? Would you imagine that there is uh, basically a subscription service that you get, like, uh, instead of getting access to Netflix, you get access to pen medicine expertise and uh, and you subscribe to that as a community hospital? Or? Uh, I would, if it, if I was working with that, I would definitely be going You would sign that. up. I <laughs> would. That's reassuring. So, Chris, when, when you go through your work, uh, both as a bedside nurse and as a charge nurse, um, now, mortality is is a very crude measure and unfortunately a measure that must happen on a regular basis So, in, in, in your life given the severity of patients that you see. But um, what, what other measures in mortality do you, do you track to see if your operations, your process is going well? I mean, how do you know if you, you're doing a good job or if there's time for some managerial intervention to change a workflow, to change what the particular nurse or caregiver is doing? Um, well, we, we have uh, a clinical nurse specialist on our unit who um, is, you know, has many different roles. And uh, that nurse not only is a one, like a very good educator for the unit, um, but he also works with um, like quality and procedure improvement. Mm -hmm. So we're definitely looking at, um, you know, our outcomes, at least on the nursing side of maybe how we could get better or um, 
what we need to improve on. Mm -hmm. is, uh, is an outcome for you something like the development of an infection or sure. is, uh, the, yeah. is an outcome also like the length of stay in the, in the unit? I think those things definitely, we have something that's monitoring if somebody goes out of the unit mm -hmm. and then returns within a certain time frame. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's a, that's not, you know, that's something a, they're yeah. watching. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then we definitely monitor any kind of like bloodstream infections. Um, skin breakdown is a, a big thing that we're always watching. Mm -hmm. So I think those are some of the things we use to measure how we're doing. I want to take advantage of your kind of the, the big picture experience that you have here. And again, kind of we talked about going from the paper charts to the computer. Uh, over the years, is the type of trauma that you're seeing, is that, is that changing because of either gun violence, drug abuse? Or what, what kind of trends have you recently seen in your work? So unfortunately, gun uh, gunshot wound victims are probably uh, one of the most the patients I've taken care of the most. Um, I do feel as though times it's, it's not before early on in my career that would happen, you know, once every few days, once a week. Uh, it's pretty much daily now that when I come in, I'm not surprised to have another one or two or three gunshot uh, victims that come in. So that's, that's definitely changed over time. Uh, there's still, I'd say, you know, it's stabbings, it's a lot of car crashes, a lot of people falling off of ladders. Um, the, the gun violence, I think, would be the one I would pick as changing the most. And when those things happen, there must be some form of interaction with family, but also with police potentially, right? Is, yes. Have you ever, do you feel threatened in situations like that? Or Yes. Is, uh, um. There are usually if somebody is uh, there, there could be pay, there could be police actually sitting at their bedside for their entire visit, depending on what type of situation mm -hmm. they have gotten themselves into. Uh, there's definitely a different dynamic when it comes to families and uh, some dysfunctional relationships that they that that, that might be involved. So I'm. Um, I've, I've been, uh, yes, I felt nervous sometimes leaving. And in addition to the change of, of again, violence and, and drug, drug abuse, another macro-level trend that seems to be going on in, in healthcare has just been increasing cost pressure. Do you, do you feel more pressured on any dimension of your work? Do you feel like you have less time than you used to or you feel like certain clinical decisions maybe of discharging somebody is done more with the kind of an Excel spreadsheet in mind than with the patient in mind? I think when I was at HUP, we would, uh, people could move from our unit a little bit sooner than they can at Presbyterian because HUP had a system that they could watch patients closer, um, maybe more beds that had you know, um, telemetry or nurses in a smaller ratio, like four to one instead of six to one or what it might be at Presby. So I do feel like we're, we're trying to get to we're making the, the transition a little more smooth to get people that are ready to leave the unit out of the unit. Uh, Chris, we talked about technology only so far as in, in the form of a computer, but I'm thinking about, and again, having been on the receiving side of ICU care, 
I'm well familiar with lots of kind of the more manual tasks that involve putting in a feeding tube, uh, connecting you to a breathing machine. Um, have you seen these types of jobs change? Is, is technology making things that were hard 10, 15 years ago? Is that becoming easier now? Or how, how has other forms of kind of advances in clinical technology changed your job? Well, we now have different scopes, especially when we intubate a patient that is a camera that will go uh, down first, which makes job a lot easier to place the breathing tube. Um, we also have had advances just in the machinery itself. So a continuous dialysis machine that I used to have to do a lot with, um, with hanging bags and using weights and a lot of different things, um, as now that machine has definitely helped my job and it's much easier to uh, run that machine. Um, any, just as simple as an IV pump. When I began, we were counting drops as the IV fluid would, you know, this many per minute, this many per hour. And then we got a pump and it had, you could put the rate and the volume and that was it. So we were still doing a ton of calculations on our own. And now I'm happy to say that the pump will, has the whole list of medications that we could possibly choose. And it does the calculation for you. And it even warns you if you're out of a certain range, like, are you sure you want to run the medication this way? So that's definitely helped my job. Do you get, other than the obvious alerts when it comes to oxygen saturation, blood pressure or heart rate, do you get other nudges or alarms from the system where some form of smart algorithm who knows the patient condition, who is monitoring sensors, says like, uh, Chris, look out, there's something to happen here. Okay. Yes, there's different types of alarms that come from the monitor itself. Tell us about those. So if it's an alarm that's just uh, will be a, li a low, annoying beep <laughs> that uh, says, Chris, come check this out. So it could be a, uh, the patient pulled off the monitor. So the the it's smart enough to know that this is not the person that stopped breathing. And uh, so then we go in and then there's the next level, uh, which will be a three-star alarm. So it's saying, you know, Chris, come in here now. And it doesn't sit, mean to, you know, it might not be a life-threatening situation, but it's nice to have that background that you need to get in here now. So. And so are there shades in between? Do you have, you mentioned a three-star alarm. Is it like a two-star alarm as well? Or is it like either either it's the blood pressure cuff that fell off when I went to the bathroom or uh, I, it's a super critical event? Is there, is there kind of shades of gray in between? Uh, not, I think it's just one or the, the other. It's one or the other? Yes. And then when those things happen, um, you go in or you are already at the bedside uh, do you do you need other help typically in those situations? Do you call for help when you how how, how does it work to get your your, your attending other teammates and if there's something developing? Sure, there's um, we have the teamwork is huge on my unit, so I already know which nurses are beside me. You know, as my day begins, so I can easily grab have one of them come in to assist. I could then call out and then we could have a provider at the bedside within seconds. Um, they have just the way everyone else communicates. There's, uh, you know, we can text them, we can call them, 
but usually there's always somebody that is on that that the floor that can perf- give us orders to take care of any type of emergency or need. If I had started training with you in in college in nursing school and uh, started on the job when you started, and I had taken like twenty years off. Would I be useful in your clinical operation today, or would I be totally outdated? Totally outdated. Totally outdated. <laughs> oh. uh, give us a sense. I mean, given that we've kind of looking back now, we've seen that dramatic transformation about your work. I mean, I know it's hard to make predictions about the future, but what do you see currently happening from kind of the buzz that you had? Kind of you, you, you talk with folks at Penn Medicine, what they are kind of planning for the next years. What is the future going to hold in the next five years? So I'm excited about um, our model of practice that we use in the ICU. And uh, the reason I'm excited is because acute care nurse practitioners are just such an important part of um, who help me and who take care of the patients. So where it used to be a medical resident that was giving me orders and, um, you know, constructing what the daily plan is going to be, it's now nurse practitioners. So I don't know if it's like that everywhere since I've been here at mm. Penn for so long. But I think that's a pretty exciting place to be for nurses. Um, we also do things on our unit where we have a unit council. So there's a chair and a co-chair. And they, it's, uh, they meet monthly. And this, inclu- you know, these, this is nurse-driven. So um, they go over policies, procedures, what's happening on the unit, and then basically come up with initiatives of how these issues can be addressed. Uh, Chris, uh, last question. Uh, looking back at your career, would you do it all over again or would you change? I mean, you talk, people talk so much about provider burnout and you, you certainly must have a very stressful job. Would you do it all over again? Absolutely. Absolutely, says Chris Guerra. Thank you so much, Chris. We need to take a short break now. When I come back, I will welcome my second guest for today. That is going to be Corey Kitt. Corey is the founder and CEO of Catalia Health, the company that created Mabu, who is an automated healthcare companion who helps patients in their transition out of the hospital. You're listening to Christian Terish. We'll be right back after the break. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 